Hi, I'm Beck Rayner and this is the Military Wife Life Podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports and embraces the women behind the military men by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. This episode of Military Wife Life is proudly brought to you by Defence Bank. Serving those who protect us, Defence Bank have the largest on-base branch network with 37 locations around Australia. They have Army, Air Force and Navy covered. To find your closest branch, visit defencebank.com.au. Hello, Military Wife Life community, and welcome to something a little different because today is the 50th episode of the podcast. This week, we also hit 20,000 downloads, and this month marks one year since the podcast started. So, so many celebrations this week, but to be honest, I'm crawling to the finish line of online learning and isolation with my kids. But those things aside, what this week's milestones actually mean is that for one year, this community has been supporting me and has been supporting you, that we have all listened to 50 episodes of spouses telling their stories, being seen and heard, allowing us to share in the ups and downs of military life, allowing us to feel that little bit less alone, providing us with advice, and most importantly, connecting us. So get comfy and enjoy listening to some of the best moments from past episodes. And I say some because each and every episode and each and every spouse has a story that deserves to be told and has so many best moments, but these are just a handful. So let's start with how some of our military couples met. There were stories of chance meetings, online matchups and long distance love. It was a little bit scandalous at the time, which I'm okay with. So I hadn't long separated from my partner. Um, we'd been together 10 years. We had literally separated, just not formally, year, you know, years before. Anyway, my first job after the separation was in the barracks here in Cairns. I worked reception and we got talking and we kept it quiet. We kept it really, really quiet because obviously I was working there and people love to talk and love to gossip. So we, we had to be very, very discreet. And then we made the decision and I, I left my job and I actually went back to my career. That for me was just a stopgap. At that point, I was a caseworker, a family support worker. So I went back to my career, which was um, working with women escaping domestic violence. So I was more than happy to, to go back to my career anyway. What was the consensus when you guys came out and told everyone about your relationship? Were people surprised or did they have any inkling or? Oh God, no. Look, people were talking about me for months because I was the youngest person there. So it was very easy to gossip about me. Anyway, we had been together probably about two or three months and I was, we both kind of decided that, yeah, we'd like to give it a go. Just like a natural progression for me and whether or not it had worked out with him, I wasn't going to stay at the barracks forever anyway. So we both took a, a chance on it. He's 10 years younger than me and I was a single parent with two very young children. 
The short story is eHarmony. I think we'd both been single for a decent amount of time and had tried respective methods for meeting a significant other um, and both kind of turned to eHarmony. And I'd been on there for a little bit longer than he had. So I'd managed to kiss a few more toads before he messaged me. So he messaged me one day and it kind of just went from there. I actually lived about four hours away from where he was based. But at the time he messaged me, he was actually at the end of a field exercise up near Darwin. So he was quite a long way away from where I am in Queensland. So when he came back to where he was based, we were about four hours away for a few months. So um, he was amazing. And just about every weekend he could jumped in the car on Friday nights and drove up to my house and then drove back on Sunday afternoons to work the week again. What sort of pressure did you feel was sort of on your you guys' shoulders when you were putting that much effort into seeing each other? Did you feel like you had to cram as much into each weekend that you saw each other? How What did you do on those weekends to get to know each other and, and really decide whether you wanted to actually go forward with the relationship? I think we were both really intentional about it because we kind of realised that it's a lot of effort going into it. So yeah, we better find out whether it's worth moving forward pretty quickly or not. We just really spent a lot of time together. He unfortunately probably had the joy of meeting all of my family very quickly because my mum is a huge support for me. So running any potential past her, she was very keen to meet him. So he was kind of put under fire by my family pretty quick and seeing what he was like around my nieces and nephews and things like that was really awesome. But I just kind of took the opportunity to see if he could gel in my life. So how did you guys end up meeting if you're in different states? I'm ex-army and we were at a wedding in November last year and he was the best man and I'm friends with the groom. We went through basic training together and yeah, that's how we met. At the time he was in Bandiana, but he was moving to Townsville in the December. So yeah, we just kept in contact and that and we started dating, I'd say things got really serious, I'd say in the February. So yeah, that's how it all started. So how did you guys even like go on dates and stuff if you were just there for the wedding and then I guess both headed off in your directions how did that all work we didn't date I guess um I don't know we just kind of ended up speaking most nights and stuff through like messenger and facetiming and whatnot and then I went up there I think it was the end of Feb and seen him and yeah things kind of got serious that way and been doing it like this ever since to be honest we've been together what seven months and we've probably seen each other if you're lucky to be six weeks out of that seven months In episode 15, we heard from Susan, who had just hit the one-year mark of being a Navy spouse. Did you have any expectations of what defence life would be like before you knew what it was actually like? Did you have any military background or any family members in the military? No, not at all. I didn't have any expectations as to what military life was going to be like or what I was, you know, what we were about to go through as a family. I guess I was really um, blindsided and sort of, I suppose you could say in denial a little bit that I thought that everything was going to be, you know, the same as what it was before, but he was going to be away. My dad always worked fly in fly out in the mines as I grew up so I just thought you know I'm used to having the male figure in my life come and go but obviously this is on such a grand scale that they spend so much time away that yeah I just really did not think that it would affect me the way it has. Yeah I don't think anyone does but when you say affect you how has it affected you? I would say doing it all by yourself and being somewhat not lonely but being alone I'm not one that would sit around and like my own company Um, I always like having someone around and I suppose just having that 
extra adult in the house to sort of, you know, with two children, take the load of something extra. So like obviously having Ethan being a newborn, you know, it's every feed, every wake up, every nappy change was down to me. And I thought I was prepared for that. Um, and I remember there's just been days that I've just cried and thought, you know, how are we even going to do this? But you do. So your husband has literally been in for one year. What is your review yeah. of, of the year as a spouse? Oh my God, it was bloody hard. I feel like we were thrown everything. Well, probably not everything because you would probably be able to add to my list. Touch wood, Um, touch wood. (laughs) But a lot of things came our way that I just was not prepared for, especially the change of like where they're going and when they're going to be home. And, you know, because everyone was like, oh, you can start a countdown chart with the children. I learned don't do that because um, it changes too much. So that just only leads to disappointment. You've learned that early on then. So that's good. (laughs) Tick tick that one off. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, just a lot of things and um, had a few um, unfortunate medical issues in the family. Poor Ethan, he ended up in hospital a couple of months ago and Tim wasn't home for that. So that's been really hard trying to deal with things like that by myself as well um, that he just hasn't been able to come home for just because of training purposes. So that's been quite difficult. Well, it sounds like you've gotten through the first year like any defence spouse does, just winging it. There were stories from spouses who have shown that when needed, we can pull this next level resilience, a strength we didn't know we had and truly adapt and cope with so, so much. All he wanted was them to recognise that because of the service that he provided for this country and what he chose to sacrifice, that he was still fighting this fight daily. That's what he wanted the recognition for. As far as I was concerned, he deserved, and so did I, deserve to have recognition for what the daily fight was for him, even though he wasn't at war anymore, because he truly was, and it was affecting every single part of our life. And I wanted people to recognise that as well. When I say he's not the person I married. I'm not saying that like people say that after they've been together for 20 years. I'm actually saying he's not the person that he was when I married him because his personality has changed that much that, you know, I'm trying to work out who this person is now. During this time as well, he was also hospitalised. Beginning of 2017, he was made redundant from his position of work. So the veteran organisation that he was working with. And that was a really unclear process as well. And that really affected him how he was feeling about himself and what he was going to do next and, you know, a bit of another kick in the guts really because he really enjoyed going to work and being there just even for the three days a week. It made a huge difference. In the February, we had a 12-week miscarriage and then in the March, he was hospitalised for the first time and things were getting really, really bad. He wasn't going out again. He was drinking more, but I wasn't aware of how much he was actually drinking. But then he was also medicated as well, which then obviously increase the effects of the alcohol he would just crawl up on the couch and put the tv on and just not want any interaction with anybody and it was really hard to watch Eli and him interact like that I'm a social worker and I work in child protection so I know a lot about child development which also was handy in some respects but also really made things difficult because I knew that it was a really vital time for Eli to be having both Luke and I around and that couldn't happen so he was hospitalized for what ended up being five weeks 
when you made the decision to move from all the way from Albury to Darwin, you also had some other factors that played into that in that your mum was quite sick. Can you tell us what was going on with your mum? Mum's born in 1964. So in 2014, she turned 50. As most women know, when you turn 50, um, you get free mammograms. At 49 in August 2013, her doctor started her on free mammograms. There was nothing there. And then a month after she turned 50, so May, 2014 um she found a lump in her breast and I was in my final year of university it was a bit of a whirlwind within two weeks she was operated on but the day I went and did my interview for my placement I also took her for a biopsy I'm an only child too and lived my whole life with my mum so we're very very close and so she got through that first diagnosis and it was six months of treatment operations etc and then we got through another six months and they noticed her markers which is something they look at an indication of cancer was going up again and they tried to figure out what was wrong they decided to take her ovaries out and they did biopsies on her ovaries and there was breast cancer cells in them so there was no tumor but cells she was very lucky they said if the oncologist didn't say to do that she could have died very soon because it's hard to detect then anyway mum got the all clear and did her six months of treatment again and she was about all clear for about 18 months and during that 18 months was when joel and i decided to join i say joel and i because we decided together but for him to join the army you know thinking that every Everything's going well. And then whilst we were waiting, he enlisted the January and then by September two years ago, her markers started going up again and they decided that the dots on her bones, which they thought were blood dots, was bone mets, which meant her breast cancer had metastasized, which is stage four cancer. She had it on her sacrum, on her spine. The same week we found that out, Joel got two offers to go to Kapuka one after the other because people had pulled out and that was very stressful for us and he declined both of them because we just couldn't deal with it. They told us that they thought mum would only need treatment for six months, put her on chemo tablets, we'll get this under control and we'll be fine. So Joel and I are like, awesome. They then offered him in October a position in April 2018. We said, great, mum will be done by then. We can move on. Come December, we found out that the tablets weren't working. They put her on hormone tablets again. And then come April, Joel left the 3rd of April. And come the 4th of April, we found out that mum's tablets weren't working. Her markers kept going up and she'd be starting chemotherapy. The first call I get from Joel the first weekend at Kapuka was pretty shit having to tell him that because I know he felt a lot of guilt leaving me with all that going on. But I was lucky that my workplace was like my family. And on top of having my family, I'm really close to Joel's family and his siblings and his mum. And so I had all them to support me. But from there onwards, to be honest, she did six months of chemo and she stopped when we got in at our engagement party in October because things plateaued and she'd look like she was going well. And within two months of that time, so October 2018 till December, I think it was 2018, her markers went back to what they were six months prior. So that six months of chemo she did just went down the drain. And then we found out she had, um, it had spread to her brain and she had a number of tumors on her brain. That was just before I quit my job and moved up here. So that was really tough. I struggled a lot with leaving her, the guilt of leaving her, the tension between living my own life and having to live Joel's in my life versus not being there to support them like I did. 
after you were in Newcastle, everything was going well and um, life was pretty good. But then your husband had a stroke at the age of 29. Can you talk us through the day that that happened? So that was uh, when he was posted in Adelaide. So we were in Adelaide living there. Everything seemed fine. On that day that he had his stroke, it was in May 2017. I was at home. I was just doing some housework around the house. Uh, I was playing with our cat, Nico who we had recently adopted just a month prior to Nathan's injury. And then I suddenly got a message from Nathan saying that he was going to the hospital because he'd been injured. I had no idea what had happened. Um, I called him. He gave me just a quick summary that he'd been hit on the head by some heavy equipment, but he was doing okay. He sounded fine over the phone. And then he told me that he was being taken to the hospital for a checkup. I immediately found out what hospital he was going to, drove there and met him and he wasn't doing as well as I thought. He had a um, lacerated ear uh, which needed to be stitched up so he was waiting to see the doctor. While he was in the waiting room he actually had some uh, stroke symptoms that he experienced. So he had a bit of um, slurred speech and um, left side weakness but they resolved quite quickly like within 15 minutes. So once he saw the doctor once he was called in to be stitched up. They did a neurological um, examination on him and he was fine. Yep, they stitched up his ear, he was given a script and, and paperwork and then discharged home. And then, sorry, <laughs> And then they discharged him home. He was he seemed fine at the time. The only thing that I guess we noticed was the the stroke symptoms that appeared while he was in the waiting room. But yeah, as I mentioned, that they went away within about fifteen minutes. So were the doctors happy, as in, if they were thinking it was a stroke, that it wouldn't have resolved itself in fifteen minutes, like it would have continued? Like, were you fairly confident when you were leaving the hospital that everything was going to be okay? We were confident, I guess, because the doctors didn't seem that fast about. It. I'm not sure what they were thinking at the time, whether they did think it was a stroke or whether they thought it was not, nothing serious. That's something that I guess plays on my mind quite a bit. But yeah, so I guess later that night when we got home, we had dinner, we showered, everything seemed normal, we went to bed, but then I woke at about one-ish and Nathan was just, he was thrashing about in the bed. He was, it was so surreal to be lying next to him. Um, experiencing that after we had been told that everything was fine. My husband Scott made his debut on the podcast in episode 16 and gave us an insight into deployment from the member's perspective. I don't know whether I should give you a special intro or something like that. Welcome husband to the Military Wife Live podcast. Oh, hi. <laughs> You're totally not starting off awkward at all. How are you? It's good. You're it's... home. It's good to be home. I've been home four days, but it feels like I've been back longer in a good way. (laughs) So can you talk us through the day that the ship leaves? Like at the same time as you're trying to spend every minute and second with your family before the ship leaves, you obviously have a job to do. So how do you manage walking away from your family on the wharf and then switching over to, to job mode straight away? Is that what happens when the ship leaves? So just before we go, it's it's pretty stressful because I'm the head of a department. So And, and I guess everyone, everyone has their roles 
in the department and you're getting ready to go to see and you've got to worry about all the all the people are ready to go that the equipment is ready to go that it's all reported as such so all those reports need to go up to the co so the co can report it to fleet so we need to give assurance to the rest of the navy that we're ready to go so there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the ship and there's a lot of stress that comes down from all the ranks the other side of it is that you know you've got to leave your family for a long time so that, that builds all up to it as well what were you feeling when you had to say the final goodbye and turn and walk away from us i know that I'm coming back and in order to come back you have to say goodbye try not to get overly emotional because I don't want that to be confused by uh, our daughters that, that our oh, daddy's going away forever just I'll be away for a long time here's another question from a military wife life community member what is the best support you can give the member while they're away how do I support my partner me I like to know when things happen as, as they happen so message is good I appreciate hearing when uh, you're feeling stressed as well so I can't talk for everyone I guess but I feel more comfortable if you're sending me messages saying oh, I'm, I'm done with today or these buddy kids or whatever I'd rather hear that and then you know get a message the next day which is oh good morning <laughs> everything's good again we're still alive yeah, we're still alive I haven't killed either of the children yet or the dogs I'd rather hear that rather than get a signal two months into a trip going oh yeah your, your wife has had a full mental breakdown and you need to come home and then rather than watching a gradual decline or as things get harder and harder it just falls off the cliff face and it's like oh now I need to wrap up my work be able to pass that on on board the ship because those responsibilities and such as well as get home within the next 48 hours and then find out what's going on and see how I can help out. Hey Military Wife Life community, I wanted to take this opportunity to tell you a little bit about the Defence Bank Foundation and the great work they're doing in the defence community. The foundation raises funds to support serving and ex-serving ADF members living with injuries or illnesses such as post-traumatic stress disorder. In 2019, the sole beneficiary of the foundation was the Defence Community Dogs Program, a specialised dog training program which rescues abandoned dogs and trains them through correctional services. 40 service dogs have been trained and given to veterans since the Defence Bank Foundation was established. The program gives dogs, inmates and veterans a second chance at life. So you think what's better is to be kept informed along the way, but then obviously the person back home also keeping on top of what they're feeling as opposed to not saying anything for months and months and then getting to breaking point because they haven't let it out and then therefore haven't dealt with it or tried to help themselves by getting any help or trying to fix the problem. Yeah, for sure. I'd rather get the venting through Messenger and the little vents because the other thing, it gives me assurance that you actually do have someone to vent to. Plus, it also keeps the connection. It's great, you know, the, the wise club and everything, and I fully support that. But something that would make me nervous is that if I was to go away, uh, one thing that is on my mind is... Oh, if I'm going to be away for months, you know, will the girls remember me? Uh, how am I going to fit back in? Am I still a part of your lives? At least if you can vent to me through the phone, when you're going through a really rough challenge yourself, I'm still included. Whereas if I sort of come back and it's like, oh, if it wasn't for so-and-so or for my mum or my sister or my best friend, I wouldn't have got through that. And it becomes us both doing our own challenges separately as opposed to doing it together. And if we did a lot of trips like that or if I'm working on a company a lot, I could see us just drifting apart because I think the person you're closest with are the ones you, you actually go through the hard times with. And if we're doing that on separate sides of the world, you're going to be closer to your mum or your sister or to your best friend than you are to me. We heard stories of how spouses put themselves first to ensure they were able to continue to handle all that spouse and military life throws at them. 
I'm pretty social. So I do see my friends regularly. That really helps. Because of the MWD youth, it's very challenging to have a night out or do anything like that. So my friends are really understanding about the situation. They're always willing to come to my house or, you know, wait till the girls are down and then come over afterwards. So that's awesome to have such understanding friends. Overall, I would say like just finding the little tricks to help you out. Like for swimming lessons, I was telling people that I chose a place um, with creche so that I could get in and swim with one of the girls and then the lady in the creche helps me get one dressed and the other one changed so then I jump back in the pool for the second lesson with the other one so just little things like that at the start I was like now we can't do swimming lessons because I don't have someone to help me yeah like, and you can't leave a 18 month to yeah know, that's right sit, sit, sit on, on the, the, side. Edge of the pool for half an hour so, yeah yeah just little things like that just try and find little tricks around things and yeah I think lessen your standards like I'm on first yeah. name basis with my Thai guy so he um, knows my order as soon as my name and number come up on his phone he knows exactly what I'm ordering from the Thai shop so awesome um, yeah so I don't know if I should be proud or not of that one but I think overall it's just about looking for the small joys that make you happy so like I know that a good smoothie or a good gym class or you know going to bed early with a face mask they're all like small joys that bring me happiness in my day or yeah. my week so the MWD thing the defense thing living away from family like you don't have the opportunity to have a huge day out or a big token event to say like this is a day for me and recharging that way so I think the most important thing for me to keep me going is yeah just finding those small joys in every day and recognizing that those are the things that keep you sort of going and happy and on top of things and treating yourself but you still have to plan those things like you still have to be on top of that like as well as everything else but in the end it's going to help you out I think I got that one from a podcast as well and the lady said you know just write down 10 things that make you happy and find ways to make it happen and I was like yeah that's so easy and it was so relevant for me at the time and just being mindful about working out you know just going for a walk whether it's around the block or um, just doing a workout in the backyard or inside that has helped me focus and just you know it's funny like you know you once you can be in a bit of a slump and then once you go and do a workout your whole mood can change and so that has played a big part also just with my mind and things like that I find when I'm working out the only thing I can focus on is keeping on breathing so I don't think about anything else in that moment which really does help uh definitely like meditating every now and then and just writing in a journal really helped me as well just process some of those thoughts and the feelings that I have while he is away really just helps because I find otherwise if I don't get it out on paper it just goes round and round in my head and I'm just having conversations with myself. That's probably, you know, the really key things that I find work. Just taking time out to switch off the TV, switch off your phone, having a bath. It's just those little routines and those little, I guess, rituals that are only small but amazing how they can just change our mood. Self-care should be a, a date or an appointment in your diary and it shouldn't be penciled in, it should be pending because then it can't be changed. And so. self-care as in it doesn't always have to mean, you know, face masks and a bubble bath. Like that's not always self-care. To, you know, go and treat yourself to a meal out or... Take away some responsibilities, um, like whatever it is to yeah. make it okay for you to, I guess, thrive instead of just survive. I haven't brushed my hair for about 10 weeks, so... <laughs> 
<laughs> that's that's not my self-care. I'm just doing the dreadlocks at the moment. So. Yeah, but you've been to the gym, so, you know. But, yeah, I go works. to the gym. So that's, that's the main thing. In Episode 9, Spouse Mel walked us through the breakdown of her relationship and how she and her military guy eventually ended up back together. We were fighting a lot before we left Brisbane and a lot more whilst in Albury-Wodonga, which ended up with us separating. While you are in Albury? Yep. Um, I think I was only there for about seven months before we decided to to separate. And what would you say the main reasons were behind that separation and the, the fighting and the sudden sort of distance between you guys? Things got... A lot worse than just fighting. We went to VVCS, which is now I think Open Arms, and tried to get a compassionate posting for me to go back to Brisbane. Who I was seeing a um, counsellor at VVCS in Brisbane, and suddenly had to leave when we got our rush posting to Aubrey Wodonga, um, and didn't really get a chance to finish up with her. So yeah, tried to get that compassionate posting so I could go back and work on myself without having to separate. That didn't work. The army decided to advise that we didn't think that our marriage would last. So it was either stay together, keep going how it was, or separate. We didn't think it was a good environment for our daughter. So we ended up separating and me moving back to Brisbane with our daughter um, to work on myself and be back with family. So even though obviously the family is breaking apart, it's the best. it was the best thing for you guys to be separate and work on yourselves? Absolutely. If we stayed together and kept fighting and everything else that was going on we probably wouldn't be back where we are today we really needed that time to figure out what each other wanted and work on our mental health both of us and it was probably the best two years that we could have taken for ourselves so laying the foundations really for the rest of your time together really it was pretty much a i'm leaving you need to sort your stuff your stuff out if you sort it out we'll get back together and we both had to work on it because yeah it wasn't just his fault I'm not going to say that the way he was when he came back from Afghanistan was purely all his fault. I expected a lot from him as well, which I shouldn't have. So we really needed to work out what was most important in our marriage. It was never it's 100% separating. It was if we work our stuff out, we'll get back together, which obviously we did. We heard stories of military couples struggling with their fertility and the long road to becoming parents. When I was here and he was doing weekly runnings and then was deployed, I mean, we have very, I, we have very little control over that. Um, one thing we did do after a couple of months of me moving here was go to a specialist and we were advised that based on my husband's schedule and based on my age, we should probably just do a round of IVF to kind of get cracking on everything. So we did our first round of IVF last July and that it wasn't successful. And then he deployed for four months. So we're still in the process of trying to get a consecutive period where we're actually trying to have children. And then we're actually trying to come up with a date to possibly do another round of IVF in the future. So the first round of IVF wasn't successful and then your husband went away. How how did you cope emotionally with that sort of knowing, okay, well, we can't even try for the next four months and it's just a waiting game of, you know, obviously the clock is ticking as every female knows. Yeah. Those four months, you know, would have been so agonizing just waiting for him to get back. Yeah, it was really tough. IVF was just, it's a really emotionally draining process. It's a real eye opener and anybody that has gone through it understands how cold and calculated and scientific 
it is. But we were both so devastated when it wasn't successful that I don't, we needed some time. When we got down to Sydney, I was able to get a few different opinions from gynecologists. And then we looked into IVF and everything because it was endometriosis and polycystic ovaries. So to have IVF, I had to have the endometriosis surgery and then, um, yeah, pretty much do it straight away. So they were like, now or never. With, I guess, sometimes because of postings, you're on a time crunch. So at that stage, Mm -hmm. like, were you going to be in Sydney for a fair while? Um, So you could obviously go through with the treatment and the IVF with the same clinic or how were you feeling about that? Well, it was just a three-year posting, but I just wanted to give it a go really. And then if we had to move, then we would re-evaluate to wherever we were. So we did three all up. Or we were meant to do three, but the last one, the, the embryos didn't survive the defrosting, so we couldn't go ahead with it. Or unsuccessful. How did you come to the decision to stop IVF? Didn't want to put my body through that again. I couldn't handle the anxiety and the heartbreak and just mentally it was just insane. And I didn't want to live like that for, you know, I knew other people that had done like 20 days of IVF and still not had success. I didn't want to be that person. So once you decided, okay I can't do another round of IVF let's look at other options what did you and your husband sort of talk through as another option to starting your family we had met a friend that was a foster carer so then we started talking to her and decided that we would look into it and get the assessment done and see how we feel and just what would happen and then we found out that in New South Wales foster to adopt was an option so we decided you know on an agency and we went ahead with it and we thought if it's not for us we don't have to continue but we're the kind of people that just jump into things <laughs> yeah so we just jumped right in. <laughs> that weekend you went from being childless and hoping and wishing and wanting to start a family to a family of five on the monday Yep. So how did it work? Did they just call you and say, okay, we've got these kids or how does talk us through it? Yeah, it's literally just different calls. You have three beds or a cot and whatever they need at the time. We've got a boy and two girls or whatever. Can you take them? We'll be there in an hour. So for us personally, we were unable to conceive naturally. I had a diagnosis of polycystic ovarian syndrome. So after trying to conceive for six months, we got our referral to our specialist and then our journey with IVF began there and then. So between delays with defence life and delays with um, IVF treatment, it actually took us three years to conceive our daughter and bring her into the world. So um, that was quite a long journey um, and definitely not how we thought it would happen. And some of the curveballs that defence um, life threw at us, obviously Rob not being home in order to progress treatment, so I would need to wait for him to be back from exercises and things like that to be able to do his tests or come to appointments or things like that. But even just delays in terms of defence members needing to get their tests done through the army med center not like I can just walk into QML to have my blood done but he would have to go through his med center which worked a little bit differently so lots of little um, delays and hiccups that I guess were unique to defense life um, and we had to find little ways to, to work around those and 
and just try and muddle through it the best we could. So of course he wasn't there when it finally worked. So he was there for the, the first four rounds and all that heartache and disappointment. And then with the last ones, I said, you know, you just you just go and I'll just do it. Like we'll figure it out. So he leaves on a six week exercise and then we were due for the official blood test about four days later. But me being too antsy, start doing my tests at home, leading up to it as <laughs> other couples will know about because I can yeah. wait 14 days. So I start testing at home and for the very first time, get two lines straight away, nice and strong. In episode 35, young army spouse Madeline talked about the lead up to posting with her military guy for the first time. Do you feel like going into future deployments, that's really set you up as in you did it and you guys weren't 100% solid then, but you worked through it and came back stronger than ever. And now you're going into future deployments really on the same page and really solid. Yeah, I do think that. But I also think that I'm very lucky because I was living at home still with my parents. So I did have them to rely on. But if he does get posted somewhere else and then he goes on a deployment, I know that this has helped set us up for then, like for the future deployments. But it's also like a freak out moment in my mind because I'm like, well, I won't be living at home. I won't get to go home to my mom and my stepdad and my brother every day. Instead, I'll be going home to an empty house or hopefully we'll have an animal to keep me company, preferably a dog or something. But yeah, so... I guess there is benefits from the last one, but then I also know the longer he is in the army, the more deployments will come and also the more chance of being posted interstate, like not with family. And that means that I have to, I'll still have them as my support network, but I feel like I relied a lot on them to help me focus on myself. Whereas this time it will be a lot more driven by me, if that makes sense. There was also open and honest talk about how some of us look after our mental health. Yeah, I think going into, you know, future deployments or future fields, like I'm not going to lie, I have struggled a little bit with, you know, him having to be away and, you know, I'd have anxiety and sort of like meltdowns. But um, in our new posting, I decided that, you know, I need to work on this and like I obviously need to be able to be okay just because of the nature of the army. So Mm. I uh, reached out to Open Arms and went through the like their channels to see like a psychologist and like start dealing with all my underlying issues and anxieties surrounding him having to be away and like how I can deal with that without having another anxiety attack or having another meltdown and I think that's really sort of changed my outlook and changed like my sort of perspective on why he goes away and like that I'm going to be okay if he has to go away again and you know these are all my avenues and these are my coping mechanisms and I'm just in a better situation if he did have to go away again and I think sort of going through that first deployment you know it was always going to be hard if I was ready for it or not because there's like a huge difference between him just going out field for a month to him being away for seven months I think now because I've done it before you know I can do it again better We have reached out for the open arms support. We've done that. We've done couples counselling, which was really helpful. 
I was quite hesitant to begin with. And then when I when we did it, it was really helpful. But there wasn't really a particular event. I think it was just like when we moved here and then he went away. That was really hard on us as a couple. And I think our communication when he when he went away just broke down very easily. So we needed to kind of build that back up. So I think that's kind of what made us really reach out. And it was very helpful because it made him also realize that I kind of get into not a state of panic, but you kind of do because my support network would be Joel then he's gone then my next in line would be my mum who I can talk to on the phone but it's not the same so she kind of explained to him the couples counsellor that's why I kind of get a bit panicky and then he kind of understood why and that was quite helpful and would you recommend it yeah even outside of the military I would it's very helpful because there's lots of things that you think you're saying and how you communicate but you're actually not and it goes and vice versa and it's, it's really helpful I um, didn't look after myself very well to begin with. I kind of ran myself into the ground trying to be everything and do everything for everyone. And that caused me to have a bit of a breakdown because my mum rang me and she said to me over the phone that I sounded tired and uh, I just lost my composure. I yelled at her and cursed a bit and cried and felt like a bit of a failure at that point, not realising that my two teenagers actually heard that whole meltdown. (laughs) So that night I walked into my bedroom and I found that the kids had gotten a poster and written a whole heap of words of encouragement all over it and blue tacked it to my bedroom wall so I would see it as soon as I opened my eyes of the morning. At that point I realised that something had broken and I, I needed help so I went to my doctor and was put on a mental health care plan so I got to see a psychologist. A lot of that time was just spent talking about what was happening to who and when and having someone to talk to that wasn't emotionally invested in the situation and able to sort of give a different point of view and with his recommendation I also organised to go and catch up with friends one night it was an overnight in Canberra I wanted to go I really wanted to go but I was also really terrified because it was the first time I'd left my two teenagers alone (laughs) (laughs) so that was a little nerve-wracking I'm so glad that I went because it just gave me that reset almost to sort of realize I could keep going and I guess it took to get to breaking point to shift you into action and I guess to remind you that you need to look after yourself as well in order to be able to look after everyone else yeah I didn't realize until that point how much I'd actually sort of just neglected my own self I so hope you are able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarywifelife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 